What's up everyone? This is Audrey with Mill Creek Commercial and thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Commercial Connection Podcast. Spencer had the most amazing honor of being a guest on the Utah Real Estate Podcast with Title One. Take a quick listen and like and share if it brings value to your life. Utah Real Estate Podcast Giving you the keys to create your forever home Hello, this is Steph, and I'm here with one of Title One's escrow officers, Mike Delamar. Today we're talking about 1031 exchanges, and we have as our guest Spencer Taylor with Mill Creek Commercial. So Spencer, can you tell us what a 1031 exchange is? Yeah, so a 1031 exchange is part of the IRS code. Section 1031. And what it says is you, when you sell an investment property and you invest those proceeds into another investment property, you can defer your taxes, which I think is really cool. You know, who wants to pay more taxes than they have to? Uh, it has to be like kind. And usually any real estate for any other real estate is considered like kind. Like you can, you can sell a, a condo on the 42nd floor in Manhattan for farmland in Oklahoma. And you can you can defer those taxes, assuming both meet the criteria of an investment an investment property. Do they have to be the same amount? If your goal is to defer all your taxes, then yes, it has to be the same amount or more. So if so, let's say you're selling a three hundred thousand dollar rental and you want to buy a two hundred thousand dollar piece of vacant land, you would pay taxes on a hundred thousand dollars. If you wanted to defer all taxes, you would buy something for 300000 or more. So how can 1031s help an investor, say, has a bunch of rental properties and he doesn't have a new rental property ready to put the money into? What does he do? How long does the exchange give him? There's a couple clocks that start when you close on your what's called your relinquished property, the property you're selling, the investment property you're selling. And these st- these clocks start simultaneously. Your first, you have a 45-day clock, which means you have to identify your next property or properties in that 45-day window. And most QIs, a QI is a qualified intermediary that helps you navigate your 1031 and make sure your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted. They they have forms that you fill out and each QI kind of does it differently, but you have 45 days to identify your next property. And then the other clock that's starts ticking is it's a 180 day clock. You have 180 days from the time you close to record the deed of your next property that you're exchanging into. So those two clocks, I mean, you really need to watch the clock, like make sure you're, you're, you're sticking to those dates when you're doing a 1031. Identify when you need to and close in a, in 180 days and, and you'll be fine. So you just can't do it after 180 days? You can do it, but you'll have to pay taxes. Okay. So if you want to defer, if you want to defer your taxes, those two clocks matter a lot. And most people, most landlords who want to do this, most investment property owners who want to do this, <laughs> really want to defer those taxes. So they they work really hard to identify and close in in those time frames. Does identify mean a contract or is it just? Yeah, good question, Mike. Is that, yeah. I've never known what yeah identify means. So I've heard I've heard it's it's as loosely as. You can send a text message to your QI. Okay. I think most, and talk to your QI when you're doing this, most will require you to fill out a form and it says, you know, what's the address of the property? What, if you're buying a percent of it, 
then what's the percent you're you're purchasing oh, uh, you cannot you cannot i don't think most qis would say okay I, you know, I'd like to identify a Taco Bell. Like you need, you need the address. You need which Taco Bell. And, yeah, yeah. and you cannot just say like, I would like to buy, I would like to buy a piece of vacant land. That, that won't qualify. You need, you need, you need the, the, the parcel number if it's vacant or the address or something to identify. And you just write it. They have a form and you, you write it on and you sign it. It doesn't need to be notarized and you know, it's not like it's filed with the government it just is in the records of the qi and they keep it in case they get audited they just want it to move along though. yeah yeah and so if you if you email it four minutes before your 45-day period i think a qi would say okay that that qualifies as an identified property so what is a qi exactly yeah so a qi is a is a qualified intermediary they hold your proceeds while you identify after you sell while you identify and then when you're ready to close and you tell them where to send the money they'll send the money to the, the title company you know whoever's organizing the closing and the, so they're handling all your funds anyone can be a qi we tell people you know find someone who's a qi who's also regulated by something else like an attorney in, in a title company because title companies are heavily regulated. Don't have your neighbor be your QI, even though they could, right? I mean, unless your neighbor's an attorney. But most make a profession out of it, and they're helping people navigate the process of exchanging. And it's somewhat complicated, but, you know, if you, if you stay inside the lines, safe harbor, you know, the rules, the precedents, then you can, you can do it. You can do it and be safe and have your exchange qualify as an actual exchange for like kind. Does the QI gain interest on the money they have set aside for you? Or is that? I'll tell you what I do know. Um, I know they hold the money and they own the bank account. I don't know how much interest they're gaining. I would suspect that, that they're gaining interest. Sometimes there's a, a big chunk of money. Yeah, that they're getting interest on. But I've also seen some QIs where fee will be bigger up front if you want the interest, and then the fee will be smaller if you let them have the interest. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I've asked I've asked QIs this question, and a lot of them say we don't make a lot of money from interest. interest. But back in the day when interest rates were like seven eight percent in a bank uh, account. Yeah. That, that was a lot more significant than onesies and twosies. I think most of them make their money from their fee, which ranges probably around $700 to $1,100. And then they make it in perpetuity when they help their clients place funds, when they do a really good job and you know they work with all parties to make sure that that money finds a, another home. And their you know, word of mouth marketing is pretty powerful and they get repeat business. The good ones get a lot of repeat business. So if... If you've got a seller sitting at the closing table and he's never heard of an exchange and then hears about it, how fast could that happen? At the closing table, that's probably too late. I think you need to contact your QI or your at least your title company. Contact your title company the moment it goes under contract. That way everything can go smoothly. That far in advance, it's not gonna, there's not going to be a whole lot of hiccup. You know, they'll work through things and they'll make sure that your QI is handled, you know, in the loop and everyone's talking. And then just, you know, if you do it at the closing table, it's, it's going to go, it's going to go really bad. 
it's going to go really bad. If Because if you sell your investment property and you pocket that money, 1031 out the window, you can't do it. It doesn't count. You can't take, you can't take that money. And so someone else needs to hold it for you while you decide what to replace it with. And you use your 1031 funds to purchase a house that's being finished, you know, a new house and you roll your funds and and how would that work with the construction schedule? Yeah. So maybe this is the part of the show where I say disclaimer, I'm not a QI. I'm not a CPA. Mm -hmm. I'm not an attorney. (laughs) I'll tell you what I've heard. Let's, let's go back to that $300,000 example. And there's, there's two potential replacement properties. One is a $300,000 spec home that would make a great, like an Airbnb, VRBO, right? And so you go in, you close on it, and then you finance the rest of that construction. But you you bought you bought as is for 300000 right? And then you, you brought in extra money after. Then the other side of that coin is, let's say there's vacant land for 100000 and then there's $200,000 worth of materials sitting on the land, you know, like trusses and shingles and cement and like what a rebar, right? And and wood, plywood and toilets and, but nothing's like actually built. Any real estate attorney would say that land is worth a hundred thousand dollars until like all nails are nailed and everything is constructed. So one of, you cannot, you can't use your exchange funds to go in and purchase materials to construct. Everything has to be like constructed. Is there an exception to every rule? Yeah. So just make sure like if construction can happen by the end of that 180 day period. So if like construction can finish on day 179, like let's not cut anything that close, but let's say it does, then that would qualify as an exchange. But again, talk to your QI and like there's a hundred little nuances that, that I that I couldn't tell you what the first nuance is, but talk to someone who knows and talk to someone who's like familiar and who has done that kind of an exchange before. So Spencer, we sort of jumped the gun, just diving right in, but tell us a little bit, how did you get into real estate? How did you get into 1031 exchanges? I I think I'll answer how did I get into real estate first. Okay. We bought our first home in Denver, 2008, December of 08, right in the middle of the crash. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like brand new out of college. Our apartment payment was like 680 a month. Is it time to buy a home? I don't know, but things just toppled down. So we bought this house, 180,000. It's a foreclosure. We fixed it up, cleaned the carpets, painted, tore off the popcorn ceiling, and we lived in it for just over a year, maybe. And then I got a job transfer to California, and we sold it, and we sold it for 220. And it was like my agent said that this house would appreciate, but <laughs> that's a lot, especially yeah. during that time. That's a lot. And we we didn't even like hardly do anything. We just painted and carpet, like clean the carpet, not even new carpet. <laughs> like it had blue countertops on it, like formica blue, like deep ocean blue. Man. And like the kitchen was not even big enough to hold a, a kitchen table. It was, it was incredible. <laughs> it was a split level, right? <laughs> then we moved to California. We and then we bought a home for one eighty eight, and like eighteen months before on Zillow, grain of salt. But on Zillow, it said it was worth 420. This was not like in the best part of town. It was in a nice part of town, but I think my mother in law came over and saw it and she's like, uh, I shouldn't live on this side. But so, and it had like milk chocolate walls 
and terrible tile. But we went in, we fixed everything up, bought it for 188. We took all of our proceeds into that house and then we sold it three and a half years later for like 325. By now my wife is like catching the vision, right? And I'm like, gosh, I made more money selling this house and living in it than I did like for two years. Working, like full time, (laughs) gainfully employed. And then we bought a house that was like across the green belt up on the hill. It was three times the size of what we just bought. Pool, backyard barbecue. It only needed like 25 grand of basically fixtures like appliances and pool equipment. And uh, we bought that for 375, 3,800 square feet. It was awesome. It, It was awesome. Beautiful view. And then we sold it for 495 when we moved to Utah. And that was four years ago. Man, we missed that house. Yeah. And then we moved here and we bought a home where it's like move in ready because, you know, time and season, right? So I think that's how I got into real estate. Like, wow, there's serious potential here. Mm-hmm. Like there's something to this. And I left my job in California to start a, a company with my brother-in-law. We bought some defaulted mortgage notes. We flipped houses here in Mill Creek. That was a dog's life. Man, that was a dog's (laughs) life. You know, like, where's our plumber? Where's our drywall? And we're like, well, how come we're not in commercial? Good question. So we had a couple lunches and then we met who would soon become our CEO, Kevin Long, at Mill Creek Commercial. We, we started and we essentially buy a building, commercial building, and buy it debt-free. I mean, we like stay away from risk. We don't deal in speculation. And we, we close on it and then we slice it up like a pizza. We sell small interest to smaller investors who want commercial in their portfolio and want to kind of get out of you know, the rat race of residential rentals. So we're, we're a solution to a lot of 1031 questions out there. You know, if I sell this rental, where am I going to go? We we compete for that place in, inside your portfolio. So that's how we got into real estate and, and into commercial. Say I sell my, my duplex yeah. and I want to put it in a commercial building so I can buy a percentage of yeah. that building with. Yeah. You can buy a percent of a building and it's called a tenant in common. Now, most of us, if we're married, we own our homes as joint tenants. Joint tenant means you need a signature if you want to sell it. Both signatures. A tenant in common is a little different. You own your slice of the pie, almost like independent of the other tenant tenants in common. You can sell yours. Like if if me and my wife owned our house as tenants in common, like she could sell her half, and then I would like be stuck with a guy I didn't marry <laughs> owning half of our home. <laughs> That just makes me picture that you have like yes. that tape where it's like, yes. half of it's like divided. <laughs> so in a commercial building with a long-term lease with an exceptional tenant, that's not quite as important, right? Because it's not like your own living space. And so you can come in as a tenant in common, own your share independent of the other owners, sell whenever you want to, sell it for whatever price you want to. And essentially what you're doing is you're selling the income stream that the rent produces. And most of them are coming off of a 1031 exchange and most of them are coming off of a duplex. And they they like, man, they just love the fact that they don't have to pay taxes on the property because these are triple net assets, triple net single tenant properties. They don't have to pay taxes. The tenant pays taxes. The tenant pays insurance. The tenant pays maintenance. And these landlords now will never, ever have to unclog another toilet ever again. Never that 3 a.m. call ever again. And they're just, and they're earning more money. They are, you earn more money in commercial than you do in residential. 
on the vesting of that property, is it just a you get five percent or five percent of the deed? Yeah. Okay. You get five percent of the deed, which means you get five percent of the rent payment. Which means if it sells for ten percent more, you get five percent of the new proceeds. For the landlord who can defer those taxes, you know, you're deferring capital gains, you're deferring depreciation recapture, you're deferring net investment income. To, you're deferring a lot of taxes when you 1031. A 6% return when their property is getting like maybe four and a half, maybe 5% ROI and tax defers. I mean, and they don't have to, they don't have to deal with a tenant, especially if you're like renting to college students and they like, you show up in the middle of the semester and you're like, where's everyone? Like they left. I think if a landlord's thinking about doing a 1031 explore your options you know and i i think don't let don't let taxes or the threat of taxes be a reason why you do not explore selling because there there can be really good options and i'm not just talking about us there's like there could be better options for you out there whether you you know you want to get into vacant land and you can create a land lease for something or a dst a dst is a delaware statutory trust you know, there's there's options out there for for 1031 replacement property. So if a landlord is listening that they're like, I want to get rid of this duplex or this fourplex or and they don't want to have that grunt work anymore, how do they get a hold of you? Our office line, our Mill Creek commercial office line is 801-899-1943. So I'm one of the founding partners. My email is spencer at millcreekcommercial.com. And people don't always believe me, but call us anytime. If you're on day like 42 of your of your 45 day identification period and you're sweating bullets and you can't find a like a backup consider us to be your backup put us in your third slot and if the other two don't pan out which by the way is more common than we'd like to think we'll always have the inventory for you to to identify and close thanks so much spencer for sharing your keys for 1031 exchanges it's been great to be on your show thank you so much this is this is an honor appreciate it utah real estate podcast Giving you the keys to create your forever.